Well, this morning, as we continue our series in First Thessalonians, I have a question for you. Have you ever known someone who changed radically? Like the person who you knew one way but was totally different, and it happened really, really fast. And maybe it was even you, but maybe it's somebody you knew, and, and the, the radical change happened so quickly that you just, it seemed like night and day. Now, the most common journey of change, I think, is usually slow and methodical. That's how the Spirit usually works, and like an onion starts peeling back the layers in our lives. But sometimes God reaches down, like the conversion of the Apostle Paul, and fast radical change occurs. Complete transformation that happens really quickly. This is sort of where we find ourselves in 1 Thessalonians, in the church of Thessalonica. A church is formed, and the lives of people are so radically changed, and they're changed quickly, that people are taking notice. The, the people around them, the communities around them are taking notice and going, what is happening over there? These people are changing radically, and they change really quickly. So let's jump into the passage, but that's kind of our platform for it, and let's take a look at what was going on here and what God was doing and how God was changing people and how that was impacting the world around them. This is verse 2. We'll start out in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Paul expresses his thankfulness for what God has been doing in their lives, and he, and he says, I pray often for you. I, I hear about what is going on in, in your church and in your community and in your lives, and man, when I think of that, he goes, I just thank God for that. And so it's really amazing to hear the Apostle Paul saying that this is what he's doing. I, I give thanks for you. I'm thankful for, to God for what he's doing in your lives, and I do it often. When he says constantly mentioning you, remember the Apostle Paul will say other places, I am burdened all the time by my churches. I am burdened because I care about what's happening in, their, in those churches. And so he's going around on his missionary journeys, planting churches, and then he has the burden of caring for them from afar. He puts pastors and elders in place and then goes to another place and starts another church. And I just love how he starts this out by saying, we give thanks for you, and I do it constantly. And it's a part of who he is. And we've been talking about prayer and about praying a little bit differently than just for our needs, but be praying for one another that we might have opportunities to have gospel conversations with people. And guess what? This is what he's saying uh, he, he, he's thankful for because they're changing. And what he's constantly praying for them for is that they would stand firm as a church and that they would have radical conversations with people around them. And I just got to say this morning, and I'm just looking around to make sure that person wasn't here, but last week at our church picnic, I got to have an awesome gospel conversation after the picnic. And this young mom was standing there, and she started asking me questions, and we talked for over an hour. That's why my skin is peeling today, because I was out in the sun for well over an hour talking to her. And it was an awesome gospel conversation that God just put in front of me. I didn't do anything special, but just start talking and then listening and having conversation. And Paul is saying, man, I'm just praying for his, my churches that they would stand firm, but they would also have these conversations and be able to be a witness to the community around them. And so he says, we thank God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And then verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and then the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he praying for? What is he remembering? What is he thinking about when he thinks about the church and what they're doing? And this is what he says. First, first I think about your faith. 
And he says, the faith that works itself out in action. So he says, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for your work of faith, that you have come to faith, and that is working itself out. And how is it working itself out? Because of, with your labor of love. So you've come to faith, and this faith is transforming you, so you're working that out and living it out, and it's being lived out in love. And he's calling a labor of love. You're working at love. Love doesn't always come easy, does it? Love sometimes has to be worked at. And so he said, I'm remembering before God our Father your work of faith, the faith that's happened and how you're working that out, your labor of love that you have been transformed to be people of love, and there's labor and work that goes with that and proceeds from that love. And then it results in this, the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This hope is not like a fuzzy kind of hope. This hope is not like a, man, I hope so. This hope isn't like being a Vikings fan, right? I hope so this year. I was just helping at the, at the 5K race um, for Grandma's Marathon on Friday night, and this gentleman walked up to me, and he said, hey, you know what? I have my Vikings hat on. He goes, you know what? This is the year. I'm sure of it. That's what he said. I'm sure of it. I'm confident. Now, there's a confident hope that maybe isn't placed in the right thing, <laughs> okay? But this kind of hope is a firm confidence and a steadfastness that comes from that. He has this hope, he's talking about a steadfastness that believes in what the promises of God are and that he's holding on to those with confidence. So when we talk about hope in the Bible, we're talking about firm confidence in the Lord that produces a steadfastness. Have you encountered people like that? That just are steadfast in their hope? They are steadfast in their knowledge of what God is doing. They are steadfast in the hope and belief that Christ is in control and that he is coming back someday, and that's part of what First Thessalonians is all about. But this hope is not like, I'm just wishing. This is a firm confidence, standing steadfast in the Lord. And so he said, that's what I'm seeing in you guys. When he says, when I'm remembering before God and our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You're, you're, you're on the right track, he's saying. And I'm excited for you. And then he says this in verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Again, we should never gloss over anything in Scripture. We should slow it down, read it carefully. I'm all for reading large passages of Scripture. I like to do the Bible in a year plan. But sometimes we don't slow it down enough to just to take it and dissect it a little bit and see that all of it is important and relevant and inspired by God. So this is what he says. Listen to what he says now. This is the Apostle Paul, real person in real time. You know I like to say that. A real person in real time in history. Put yourself in his shoes or put yourself in the shoes of the church that he's talking to. And he says, for we know... That's a confident thing to say. We know, I am confident of this, he says, that your brother is loved by God. That he's saying, you are now part of our spiritual family. Now remember when he uses terms like that, he means brothers and sisters in the Lord, using just the language from the time. But he's saying, brothers, you're loved by God. We are now brothers and sisters because of your faith, Paul is saying. Now you and I have a different relationship. We are family now. We're not me, Paul the evangelist, who's coming to teach you and try to convince you that Jesus is the Christ. 
You've now put your faith in Christ, and now you are brothers. He's saying that intentionally. He's using that phrase intentionally. He's telling that church while he's writing this letter to them to encourage them that they are now brothers and sisters in the Lord and that they're loved by God. And that they've been chosen, that he has chosen them, that they are now spiritual family, and there is nothing of merit by why they have been loved by God. There's nothing in us that makes God love us. I hope that you'll hear this carefully this morning. There is nothing in us that makes God love us, but there is something in God that makes God love us. Let me say that again. There's not something in me or the people of Thessalonica or the Apostle Paul that made God love them. There's something in God that makes God love us. That there is an almighty God who is a God of love and looks down and sees you and I as we stumble and bump our way along in this world. And he loves us. He loves us with a love that is powerful and big. I want you to hear that this morning, that you are loved by God. Listen to 1 John 3.1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. John is just saying, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Paul, Paul is saying, you are now brothers and sisters. We're family. John tells us that we are now children of God. That's an amazing thought. I always say I'm a preacher of good news, right? I can't give you better news than that this morning. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ... You now become part of that family, and you are now children of God. And Romans tells us that we can talk to him like a father and say, Abba, Father, like Daddy. And that we can have that kind of intimate relationship with the God of the universe, who is a heavenly Father who loves us. See what kind of love. Look and see what kind, what kind of love has God shown you. Just think about that for a moment. What kinds of ways has this heavenly Father shown you love? So John says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He declares it. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And why there's opposition is because some people don't know him and are opposed to him. But if you are in Christ, you now are a child of God, and he is your heavenly Father. Listen to Ephesians 3, 4, and 5. But God, again, who's this about and who's doing all the good work here? God, being rich in mercy. He's rich and overflowing in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. There it is again. Because of the great things that Dean did, because he's such a nice guy, because you've done some good things, because you give to the church. It doesn't say any of that, right? Because of him. And because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead. Here's the thing, and I have a few of these each sermon where I say, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. And I realize I say it like three or four times every sermon, okay? (laughs) But, But here's one of those. While you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he loved you. He had great love towards you. It wasn't great love towards you once you got it all figured out. He had great love towards you that while you were dead in your transgressions and sins, he made you alive in Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. Not anything that you can do or you've done. Because of his great mercy and his great love, while I was still dead, he loved me. 
and he gave me new life spiritually, and I've been saved by grace. And then the second half of the verse tells us that he has chosen us. Listen to 1 Peter 2.9. But you, put your name in it, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A holy people, a royal priesthood, people that are his possession, and he's claimed you out of darkness so that you can say how excellent he is and how awesome he is. Not how great it was for you to get out of darkness, but what he's done to bring you out of darkness. You're chosen a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen to Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, because we are God's chosen ones, put on holiness and beloved compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Because we're chosen ones, then he's going to put that on us. We're going to start demonstrating kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Now, all of this stuff... They're now known by God, loved by God, chosen by God, and this is evident by what we're going to see in the rest of the passage because the change that's happening in them is so radical that the people around them going, wow, something's going on over there. Okay, so this is all like the foundation for verses 5 and following. So let me just read 2 through 4 again. For we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How do we know all that now? Because our gospel came to you in verse 5. And it came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So he's saying, we know all of this because the gospel came to you first by word. We, we explained it to you, Paul said. So we know this transformation has happened through these things. And first we came to you and we talked to you about the gospel. Now, if you were with us last week, we talked about Acts chapter 17, where, where the church of Thessalonica was started. And Paul talked about how he came into the synagogue and he reasoned with them first that the Christ had to die and suffer. And then he argued second that Jesus was that Christ. So he says, he's just following that up by saying, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but it did come in word, and we came and we argued with you, and we, and we remember when they're talking to argue, it's debate, we debated and I proved this to you. And some of you heard it and accepted it. But it wasn't only with just the word, but that was where it started. Then it was also in power. There was a power, a transforming power that, that happened when they heard the word and received it, because now the fruit of the Spirit is being demonstrated. And what Thessal- the book of Thessalonians is all about is their perseverance in the midst of trouble. And so what, what Paul's saying, listen, I also see it in power. There was a power that came upon you that the fruit of the Spirit was beginning to be developed, and you were putting on the image of Christ, and you were persevering under severe trouble, and you guys are baby Christians, he said. You're just starting out. This church is young. That stuff could only happen if God was at work. And then he says, also in power and in the Holy Spirit. 
that the Spirit was clearly working in you, and you had received the Spirit, and there was example of that. And so he said, these are, these are why I know that God has chosen you, why I can see how, that God is loving you, because these changes are happening in your life. And you heard our word, you heard the gospel, you accepted it, but also then had the power of transformation. It wasn't just head knowledge. And then the Holy Spirit came upon you, and you guys were radically changed. And then it says, full of conviction. They received God's word with assurance. And what happened is they began to be transformed into the image of Jesus and the desire to be like Christ and to be led by the Spirit. And they had a spiritual joy in their service and in their suffering. And Paul said, all of that is why I know that you've been chosen and that you're loved by God and that you've accepted what we brought to you because real radical transformation was happening. He says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And he said, you know who we were. You, were, you accepted us as apostles and you knew that we were teaching the word and he said, all of this tells us, all of this change and transformation tells us that you're God's children. It wasn't just that they accepted a set of beliefs that Paul presented to them. While that is true and that is important, that turned into a transformation of life that had a radical impact on the community and the people around them. And this is what he says then in verse 6. Again, the proof the proof of all the things he said in verses 1 through 4. And you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So part of the evidence is that they became imitators of Christ and imitators of Paul as Paul was imitating Christ. Paul will tell us that um, um, multiple times, that if you're imitating Christ, and if Paul is imitating Christ, then you can trust and follow Paul. This is what he says in Philippians 3.17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, brothers, okay, we're teaching you about Jesus and you're still learning about him, but we're walking faithfully following Jesus. You can see our example and use that. And there are times when we need to look to the example of another human being who's right there who's following Jesus. So Father's Day, I'll just put it like this. When my dad was following Jesus, when the moments when he was walking in the Spirit, I wanted to follow and be like that. And that was okay. I should want that. I should want to see in other people like, oh, I want to be like that because they're being like Jesus. Now Jesus is our ultimate model, but Paul says... If I'm following Jesus and being obedient to Jesus, then you can follow my example. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I'm not supposed to imitate somebody who's not imitating Christ, but when somebody's imitating Christ, I should see that and go, I, I want to be like that. I want to follow that. So he says, You became imitators of us and Christ, for you receive the word in affliction. So in affliction, when he's using this word affliction, this is not an easy word. This is a place of hardship. This is when you really feel it. This is serious discomfort. This is serious struggle. And in the church in Thessalonica, it was they were being arrested. Some people were dying because of their faith. 
That's the affliction they were experiencing. And they experienced it, and here, here's what's so amazing about this passage. And this is the example of what people were seeing in their lives that made them say these people are radically different. In the midst of those afflictions, they had the joy of the Holy Spirit. A joy that is a supernatural joy that you can only say, that could only come from the Lord. Now, this doesn't ignore the situations or circumstances. This isn't the kind of joy that says, this is really hard, but praise Jesus I'll just keep going and keep smiling. It's the kind of joy that says, this is gut-wrenchingly difficult, but I'm trusting and putting my hope in Jesus. This is gut-wrenchingly difficult, and I might not even get through this, but I'm holding on to the Holy Spirit to help me get through it. We could share stories maybe from right here in this room, or you could share stories of, like, my friend Shirley. My friend Shirley, who while her husband and young son were working on a boat motor down in the basement, it blew up. And the young son is killed. And Shirley will tell you that while her husband was on the burn table, because he was severely burned, she had to tell him that their son died. And Shirley would tell you that as he started to fade, his life started to fade because he was so severely burned, she holds on to him and says, but remember, he was God's child, not ours. And somehow the husband revives and spends, I don't know, Sherry, what was it, a year in the burn unit in the University of Minnesota. Six months after they get out of the burn unit, he's killed in a car crash. Shirley would stand there and be steadfast in the Holy Spirit in the midst of her suffering. Shirley remarries later in life, and five years after she remarried to a pastor, um, he dies of cancer. Shirley was just a wonderful saint of the Lord at our church. And Shirley would stand there and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. How could she do that? Because of the steadfastness of the Holy Spirit working in her life. So, so when I saw Shirley say that, and I, we knew Shirley well, when, when, when Shirley would say that stuff, I wouldn't say, wow, Shirley is just such a great person. I would go, whoa, God is working in Shirley's life in a way that I can't even comprehend because that's amazing. And she would share her testimony and serve the Lord all the way to the end. That's what this is. It's the joy of the Spirit. It's a supernatural joy that gives you the ability to persevere through difficult things, not the kind of joy that ignores it and says that's no big deal. It's a big deal when you're suffering. It's a big deal when you're struggling. It's a big deal that we should come alongside each other and walk with each other through those things. But when the Holy Spirit gives us a steadfastness of a confidence that I'm going to make it through this, that is when we say praise be to God, because it's the Holy Spirit that's at work. And so because of all of that that was going on, remember last week we talked about Jason being arrested and pulled into prison simply because he housed Paul and, and Silas when they were coming there to Thessalonica and preaching the gospel. And a bunch of the people were persecuted and then all of this change and transformation is happening so that, in verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Here's these people chosen by God, following the example of Paul, persevering under trial, all so that they become this incredible example to the believers in the region. And other people would go, wow, that church over there, that's crazy. <laughs> Look at all that they've gone through. But they became an example, this little baby church, brand new, 
became an example to the people in the region and unto other believers in the region. But it was all because they were chosen by God, loved by God, followed the example of Paul, and persevered under trial, and they became examples to others who are farther in their faith. For not only has the word of the Lord, verse 8, sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth elsewhere so that we don't need to say anything. I don't even need to tell other people what a great job your church is doing because people know it. And so this is how it breaks down, and this comes from the Enduring Word commentary. I just love how it referred to this verse here. It says, Paul pairs two ideas. The word of the Lord sounded forth, and their faith toward God has gone out. These two aspects are essential if a church will spread the gospel. The word of the Lord sounded forth, and their faith toward God has gone out. And then he goes on to say this. First, they need a message to spread, and that message first needs to impact their own lives. This is where we get delight in the gospel. When we talk about delighting in the gospel, the message still first has to be in my heart, has to be transforming me. That's what was happening to the church here. The message first was radically transforming them. And then they took it out. Second, they need the faith to go out so that their faith toward God goes out to all the world. And that's where we get declare and display. So the first part is, I've got to have a gospel that's deep in me that I want to share it, and then we declare it and display it to the world around us. And that's what was happening in the church in Thessalonica. And then verse 9 and 10 says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is the transformation that happened to them. And to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So the signs of this true conversion was you received us and our teaching. You accepted us as God's spokesmen, as apostles, and then you accepted our teaching, and you turned from idols. They were worshiping literal idols, and they turned from false gods to the true living God. That was what happened in their lives. From actually bowing down to real idols, now they have turned to serve the living God. 1 Corinthians 3.3, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. See, they realized when Paul was arguing that it was the true and living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human heart. Jesus himself says this in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And so that's what is happening is that they've turned from serving idols to serving the living God, all while steadfastly waiting for the son's return from heaven. He's saying, you're doing all this and you're holding on to the hope of his return and you're standing steadfast waiting for that and waiting for the one whom he raised from the dead to come back. Jesus, the one who, believer, who, who delivers us from the wrath to come, that's who we're waiting for, he says. And that's who the Thessalonians were waiting for. Well, the one who is going to come from, from heaven, whom was raised from the dead, and who delivers us from the wrath to come, having steadfast hope waiting on him, this little baby church understood all of that. And they were standing firm under all the affliction, under all the stuff that they were experiencing, waiting and waiting, holding firm, 
knowing that they've been delivered from the wrath to come, they've been delivered from death, and yet they wait for Christ's return. So what are we going to do with all this today? Here's my hope. This is what I'm praying that you will take from this message today. First, that you will believe and experience the truth that God loves you and chose you. That you would believe and experience that truth, that God loves you and chose you. You know, I worked for 20 years at a Christian college, and, and I'm, I'm not under, uh, understating this when I say this. I would have lots and lots and lots of conversations with young people about God's love for them. 90% of the time when I brought up this next thing, it would lead people to tears. And I'm not kidding you when I say 90% of the time. We would talk about God's love, and then I would look at them and I'd say, but does God like you? And 90% of the time, people burst into tears and they say, no. He loves me because he's a God of love and he has to love me, but he doesn't really like me. In fact, he'd probably rather be done with me because of all the things that I've been struggling with and doing. And, and I, I'm not joking when I say that. 90% of the time, no, he doesn't like me. Listen, God loves you, and he has chosen you, and you are his child, and he is creating you and developing you into who he wants you to be. Okay, I love my kids, and I like my kids, <laughs> okay? Yeah, sometimes I have to correct them, and sometimes I have to speak into their lives about certain things that I might not like at the moment, but God isn't like me. God loves us, and he likes us, and we are his, and I hope for some of you today you will hear this truth that God loves you and he chose you and you are his. And it's not based on your performance, not based on what you do. It's based on him and who he is and his love and his ability to hold you and care for you. Second, I hope that we would stand firmly in faith and love and hope in the one and true and living God. I hope that you'll leave here today standing firm in faith in Jesus, faith and understanding his love, having a great hope that the true and living God is sitting on the throne and that he's coming back someday. And it's my prayer that you would stand firmly in faith, love, and hope in the true and living God. That was the change that happened for the Thessalonians. They turned from idols to the one true living God. Third, that we would base our lives and beliefs firmly on the convictions and power of the Spirit through the Word of God. That like the church in Thessalonica, that we would stand firmly and have conviction about the Word of God and the Spirit of God helping us to understand the Word and that we would stand firm on those convictions about who Jesus is and what God's Word says. Fourth, that we would be that we would follow the example of Jesus and the apostles and others who are obediently following Christ. What I mean by this is that I pray that you will find some other people in your life that maybe are farther on in their spiritual journey than you are and come alongside them and say, hey, help me to understand how to follow Jesus. We call that discipleship or we call that mentoring. But to be able to look for others who can be an example for us and, and be able to, to see how they're living out their faith while always remembering Christ as our ultimate example. But when you see somebody following Jesus in a way that you're like, I think I want to follow Jesus like that. Learn from them and learn from others. And one of the problems with American Christianity sometimes is that we're just so isolated that it's just about me and the Lord. I want to invite you to invite other people into your spiritual journey and seek the encouragement and support. And then, if you are a little farther than someone else, be that person that comes alongside someone else 
and says, hey, how about you come alongside me and we'll walk in our faith. <laughs> That's why I love having children in the service, right? We, will, we are a church like that. Amen? Amen. Last, that we would stand firmly in faith, love, and hope in the true and living God and that we would wait for his return that his coming back would give us strength, that we would be like the Thessalonians and stand firm in knowing Jesus is coming back, Jesus has got this all under control, Jesus is the king, and that we'd stand firmly in that and stand firmly in our faith and our love and our hope, knowing that that is all true. And that's part of what this book will be about. And so we stand firm knowing that Jesus, I don't know if you're like me, and I'll close with this, but sometimes I look around and if I'm not careful... I'll get discouraged. <laughs> no, that happens easy when you look around the world today. Look to Jesus. Because I don't get discouraged when I see him. I don't get discouraged when I put my faith, my hope in him. I don't get discouraged when I hold deeply onto his love. I don't get discouraged when I'm reminded that I'm chosen by him. I don't get discouraged when I remember that he's coming back someday. Amen? Amen. Amen.